Let's do a quick rewind on the book of Jonah so nobody is lost. Perhaps this is your first Sunday here. Maybe you missed one somewhere along the way. Jonah is a story about a renegade prophet who lived right about 2,700 years ago. And God tells his prophet Jonah to go preach to the people of Nineveh, these evil Ninevites. And Jonah says, not going to happen because Jonah hates the people of Nineveh. He despises them, again, because they were a violent people. They were a bloodthirsty people. He has good reason not to, not to want to go there, probably. But he gets on a boat, and he runs from God in his call to Nineveh. And God pursues Jonah as he runs. So first, God pursues Jonah by sending a great storm. That didn't work. So then he sends a great fish. And then Jonah seemingly gets it in the belly of that great fish And he repents from running from God. And then in chapter 3, we see the great fish kind of vomit Jonah up onto the shore. And finally, Jonah's obedient. He goes all the way to Nineveh, walks or rides or whatever, about 300 miles to Nineveh. And he preaches to the Ninevites. And shockingly, the whole city believes God and they repent, right? So you're kind of reading the text and you think, man, These Ninevites were kind of like ISIS on steroids, just like evil, wicked people. They loved violence. They loved killing people. They loved torturing their enemies. And Jonah goes in there and you're thinking, man, they're probably just going to kill Jonah and just throw his body in the street. Or at the the best case scenario is they're like, man, get out of here. You know, and they just kick him out of the city, kind of spit on him, tell him to get out of here. That's not what happens. They actually listen to Jonah's message. They believe God and they repent and they begin to follow God. And this curious thing happens. You would think Jonah would be celebrating, right? Jonah would be like, man, God has used me in a powerful way to redeem these people, to draw these people to the mercy of God. You would think this would be like the highlight of his life. Instead, Jonah is furious about it. He's he's just angry that God has saved these people because he wants God to judge them. He just wants God to like take these people out. And then the book ends, we saw last week, with a question for Jonah, and really, I think, a question for all of us. And the question was this, do you care? That was God's question to Jonah. Jonah, do you really care? Do you really care about all all these people who who are far from me, who need my grace, they need my mercy, and they're currently on this path heading headlong into a Christless eternity? That's not okay. So do you, do you care, Jonah? And then the question was kind of the same for us. Do, do we care? We all have Ninevites in our lives, don't we? People who are far from God, people who are running from God, people who God loves, he created, he wants to save. And the question was, do you even care? Do you even care? Do you care enough to do anything about it? Now, it seems to me that this book has uh, resonated deeply with many of you just having conversations with some of you, some of the emails that I've gotten, I think God has really used this book to speak to so many of us. And I think that's because we can all kind of see our story in Jonah's story in some way. In fact, in fact last week in, in staff meeting, somebody wrote in our staff notes, uh, I'm so disappointed to learn that Chris is so much like Jonah. And uh, <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell you um, which staff member wrote that, although I will tell you that their name rhymes with Mark Carlson. But it's, um, it's, but it's, but it's, it's true. I can, I can relate to Jonah. That's, that's my story, right? I'm running from God, God pursuing me and me just continuously like learning these hard lessons from God 
over and over and over again in my life. That's my story. That's most of our stories. And I think that we can really sort of connect with this uh, renegade prophet named Jonah because of that. So we're going to end the series this morning by looking at what I think is probably the most important thing about the book of Jonah. And that's what Jesus taught about Jonah. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, hope you do, please make your way over to Matthew's gospel. That's where we're going to kind of park this morning. Matthew's gospel, chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, first book in your New Testament. And what we're going to see here in Matthew 12 is that Jonah was a sign. Jonah was a sign that pointed us to a greater truth. You see, signs aren't the point, are they? Signs point us to the point. It's sort of like, uh, just imagine if this was your, your first Sunday here as a guest. I know for some of you, it is your first Sunday here. But for the rest of you, just imagine that there was your first Sunday here. You didn't know where anything was. And so you like kind of come up to me and say, Chris, man, I really uh, need to use uh, the restroom. Where, where's your bathroom? And so I walk you out into our hallway there and I take you to the restroom sign. But just suppose that you didn't understand that the point of the restroom sign was to actually point you to the restroom. And you somehow just thought that that was our restroom. And you just stopped at that sign. And you said, well, he said, this is the restroom. It says restroom. Guess this is where I'm supposed to relieve myself. Well, that would be a really bad idea, right? That, that'd be a really good way to get arrested. See, signs aren't the point. Signs point us to the point. That's what Jonah was. He was a sign pointing us to something far greater than himself. So Matthew chapter 12, hope you're there. Uh, by now, we'll start in verse 38. But before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of context uh, into the, the chapter that we're about to step into so you understand what's happening. At this point in time, Jesus is, he's traveling around to different cities. And Jesus is teaching and he's healing people. He's performing all these miracles um, crowds are beginning to follow him, these enormous crowds, because of what uh, he's doing and what he's teaching. He taught in a very powerful, authoritative way. And so these, these Pharisees showed up. The Pharisees were kind of like the religious, legalistic, uh, religiously elite people of the day. And so they show up on the scene as Jesus is doing all these just amazing things, and they really begin to harass Jesus. So there's this one scene where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day. And of course, for the Jews, that was their holy day. That was their day of rest and worship. And so his disciples on this day begin to pick uh, grain heads from, from the plants. And they begin to eat them. It's lunchtime. They're hungry. They've been out traveling and ministering with Jesus um, the whole day. And the Pharisees see that and they get, they get angry. So they're, they're ticked off at Jesus because his disciples are, are working on the Sabbath day. So then the, Matthew switches the scene and we see Jesus on another Sabbath day. He comes across this man with a paralyzed hand and the man stretches his hand out and Jesus heals his hand completely. It was also on a Sabbath day. So now the Pharisees are, are really getting, getting hot under the collar. They're really getting angry at him. They actually begin to plot to kill Jesus at this point. And then to top it all off, Jesus then heals a demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute. So he couldn't see, couldn't talk. And he heals this man on another Sabbath day and the crowds go wild, right? All the, this huge crowd that swelled, they're there. They're listening to Jesus preach. They're watching him perform all these miracles and they start going nuts. And they're like, man, this guy, I think he could be the Messiah. 
could this be the Messiah? Could this be the son of David? It seems like this guy is the chosen Messiah that we've been waiting on for thousands of years. And the Pharisees overhear that and they absolutely lose their minds. Right? So they're, they're jealous. They're trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. And then Jesus starts calling them a brood of vipers. He starts calling them snakes and all this kind of stuff. So that's, where, that's kind of where we're going to pick up in the narrative with Jesus addressing these legalistic religious elites of the day that, by the way, hear this, these religious Pharisees that looked really good on the outside, right? If you and I were alive during the first century, we would have seen the Pharisees and most of us would have thought, man, if anybody is godly, it's the Pharisees, right? They were in the temple every Sabbath. They, they tithe 10% of their money to the temple religiously, constantly. They memorize huge portions of the scripture. In fact, many of them had entire books of the Old Testament committed to heart. They could memorize it. They could recite it word for word. So you would look at these people from the outside and you'd say, man, if anybody has it figured out, if anybody is godly, surely it's the Pharisees. But as we find out, in actuality, their hearts were very hard, their hearts were dark, and they were far from God. And let that just be kind of a reminder to us this morning that we can do the same thing, can't we? We really can. I mean, we can put on a good face, we can put on a good facade, pretend like we got it all together, we can post a, cute, a few cute little Christian quotes on our Facebook account, maybe a Bible verse every now and then, and we can look really good just like the Pharisees did on the outside, and yet our hearts can be rotting on the inside and we can be far, far from God. That can happen to us just like it did to the Pharisees. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious hypocrites that we were just talking about, they answered him, that is Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So these religious hypocrites have the nerve to come and ask Jesus for a sign, for proof that he is who he says he is. In other words, they, they want him to perform a magic trick for them. Now, th this, is, this is completely absurd. They want him to perform on command. And sure, Jesus certainly could have turned a tree into a unicorn with wings if he wanted to, right, just to impress the crowd. But that wouldn't have mattered. Remember, Jesus is traveling, he's teaching, he's doing miracles, he's healing people left and right, right in front of these guys' eyes. So this isn't a sincere request by the Pharisees. These guys are not seeking truth. They aren't just looking for like a little bit of confirmation because they're teetering right on the brink of believing and following Jesus. This isn't a sincere request. They're disingenuous. They're trying to find some ground by which they can have Jesus executed. That's their end game. And Jesus, of course, knows that that's their end game. Now listen, most of us wouldn't think of ourselves probably as Pharisees. Most of us wouldn't think of ourselves as kind of religious hypocrites. But I think there's, even in verse 38, there's a message of caution for all of us here because the sad reality is that oftentimes I see people in church world, in the Christian world, just kind of treating Jesus like their personal genie in a bottle. Like so many of us, we just kind of live our lives like, like Jesus exists to give us what we want when we want it. And I just want to say to you this morning, Jesus isn't your genie in the bottle. He's the God of this universe. Jesus died to, to save you and free you, not to become your personal cosmic butler. 
So let's not get it twisted this morning. Let's, let's not make the same lethal mistake that these religious leaders made in the first century. And I think it's important for me to pause right here just for a second and say, look, if you're here this morning and you are genuinely looking for answers, I mean, you're sincerely looking for the truth, I want you to know that Jesus never turned those people away. He didn't. He was always compassionate, loving, and patient with those who had genuine doubts and questions. I mean, look at his own disciples. I mean, he spent three years with them, and they just kept asking the same silly questions over and over again. And Jesus loved those guys deeply. He lived life with them. He look at his interaction with the woman, the Samaritan woman. We can look at his interaction with Nicodemus. Jesus really welcomes those who seek him with legitimate questions and an open heart. But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is not dealing with people like that. Jesus is dealing with self-righteous, religious hypocrites who have no interest in the truth at all. No interest in answers. And so listen to the response of Jesus beginning in verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man. And that was an Old Testament term for the Messiah. He's talking about himself there. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus goes, hey, look, you, you, want, a, you want a sign? I'm giving, I'm giving you no sign except the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights, so I will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That will be your sign that I am who I say I am. So the sign of Jonah is this. The sign of Jonah is that one day a greater prophet than Jonah would go into the belly, not of a great fish, but into the belly of the earth, into death for three days. And then he would rise again, not just to save one people group like the Ninevites, but to save all people who would call on him. Jesus was saying the sign of Jonah is the gospel. The sign of Jonah is the good news. That's the sign that I am who I say I am. So no, I'm not gonna float around the room and levitate for you. I'm not gonna turn a tree into a unicorn for you. I'm gonna do even better than that. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back again in three days. That'll be the sign that I'll give you, you little punks. I, I may have added that last part, but that's probably what he's thinking. Here, here's the first truth I wanna, I wanna share with you uh, this morning. Jonah points to Jesus. Jonah points to Jesus. Jesus came as the better, truer, greater Jonah. Now, believer, this, this really needs to instruct the way that we read, the way that we hear, the way that we study, the way that we interpret the whole Bible. Everything in this book either points forward in time to Jesus or it looks back in history to Jesus. The point is Jesus. The point is Jesus. David and Goliath is not ultimately about a giant and a little boy. Right? David, the one who had come to deliver his people, was a signpost to a greater David who would one day come to deliver the whole world. Moses wasn't ultimately a story about a murderer on the run. 
that God would eventually redeem and he would lead his people out of slavery, Moses ultimately was a signpost pointing to the greater Moses who would one day come and break the shackles of slavery and death for all of humanity who would call on his name. Noah wasn't ultimately a cute little story about a big boat and lots of little cute animals and a lot of rain. Noah was a signpost to a greater Noah who would one day come and offer a way of salvation to a drowning world. Do you see that? All of history has been a series of signposts that are designed to point you to Jesus. Jonah isn't about a big fish or a boat. It's about Jesus. The Bible isn't about you. The Bible isn't about me. Who's the Bible about? It's about Jesus. You guys are so stinking smart. Unbelievable. Jesus in John 5.39 says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, our Bible, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus was talking to these same religious hypocrites here. And he was saying, look, the scriptures, the Bible won't save you. It's not going to say you, you, can have, you can have the whole thing memorized. You might be able to, to quote it better than anybody else in the world. But if you miss the entire point of the scriptures, which, by the way, is me, Jesus says, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the whole thing. You've missed the whole point of Genesis all the way through Revelation. The whole thing was pointing to me. One of my favorite movies when I was a teenager, some of y'all may remember, was a movie by the name of Forrest Gump. Do you guys remember that movie? I I loved that movie uh, as a teenager. I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. And um, I actually was going to play a a clip for you guys uh, this morning, but it had some naughty words in it. So I'm just going (laughs) to, we're in church. And so I'm going to narrate it uh, for you this morning instead of playing. But um, if you remember the story, Forrest Gump was was this guy uh, who wasn't the uh, smartest man who ever lived. Right, so he wasn't—he just wasn't a bright guy. But Forrest had a big heart. He had a big heart, and he loved to do one thing. What did Forrest love to do? Forrest loved to run. And so there's this one scene where Forrest is just running, man. He's just running, and he runs onto this practice football field. And the coach, who in the movie was was Coach Bear Bryant, so he's like he was that legendary Alabama football coach. He sees Forrest running faster than all of his players. He's like, man, I gotta have that guy. We gotta have. So Forrest actually gets recruited to play college football at Alabama. And then there's a scene where Alabama is playing Tennessee. And Forrest is standing there just kind of like looking off into the crowd. He has no idea what's going on, you know. And uh, so his teammate grabs the ball and he hands the ball to Forrest and he says what? Run, Forrest, run. And so Forrest just takes off and he's sprinting down the field. He has no clue what he's doing. He just knows he's supposed to run. And so he runs past all the opponents. Everybody's diving, trying to tackle him. He jukes everybody out. He runs into the end zone. And does he stop and celebrate his touchdown? No, what does he do? He keeps running, right? He runs in the back of the end zone. He smashes all these band members. He runs out the back of the stadium. And then the head coach, Bear Bryant, looks over at one of his assistants and he says, that might be the dumbest man to ever live, but the boy sure can run, right? Forrest missed the whole point. He didn't understand that the point of the game was to score a touchdown to help his team win. So let me just encourage you, believer, don't be a spiritual Forrest Gump this morning. Don't miss the point. The point is Jesus. 
Jonah points us to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon was uh, a 19th century English preacher who is uh, just world famous. He's known as one of the, probably the top preacher in the last four or five centuries. And um, so he was asked, man, how do, you, how do you preach, Charles? I mean, like, how, what's your method? How are you so powerful in your teaching style? This was his answer. He says, wherever in the Bible I take my text, so no matter where I'm preaching from, I make a beeline to the cross and I start preaching about the Lord Jesus. This Spurgeon was saying, listen, it doesn't matter if I'm preaching out of Genesis or the Psalms or the Gospels or the letters or Revelation. It doesn't matter because the point in all of it is Jesus. See, the Bible teaches us many things, but it always points us to the main thing. So let me just encourage you, if you're not already doing it, begin to engage Scripture like this. Don't miss the main thing. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 5. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus goes, listen, you religious hypocrites, the people of Nineveh accepted a lousy messenger named Jonah in a weak message. Remember, Jonah's message was only five Hebrew words. And they believed God and they turned to him. And now you have somebody far greater than Jonah. You have the Messiah. You have the Son of God with you and you won't believe. And so on that last day, that last day when every man and woman who has ever lived stands before the God of this universe, on that day, the people of Nineveh, they will rise up and they will say, why? Why? Why didn't you believe? We believed Jonah and his lousy five-word message, and we turned to God. And yet you, your generation, you have Jesus. You have the very Son of God, and you didn't believe. Why didn't you listen? Why didn't you believe and follow him? Now, this message from Jesus, I think, should just be kind of like a shock to our senses, this message from Jesus is really, it's a message of judgment. In many ways, it's very similar to Jonah's message to the Ninevites. Do you remember what Jonah's message to the Ninevites was? It was one sentence. He said, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So both Jesus and Jonah preach God's coming judgment. Now, I'll be really honest with you this morning. I know that this is a safe place, isn't it? You guys aren't gonna judge me. So here's the honest truth. I don't like preaching about God's judgment. I just, I don't. I love preaching about God's grace and God's love and his mercy and all of those things are completely true. But I really, really don't like preaching about his justice. And maybe that's because I'm just familiar with churches as I was a kid and you had these hellfire and brimstone guys that would just get up there and scream until they were blue in the face and tell everybody how they're going to hell. And it's so turned off by that. I just really don't like preaching about God's justice. But, but listen, I cannot in good conscience, like so many pastors these days do, I cannot in good conscience omit what Jesus taught. And that is that one day you will stand before the almighty God of the universe. And on that day, I won't be there with you. 
And your sweet granny who taught Sunday school will not be there with you. And your uncle who was a preacher will not be there with you on that day. It'll just be you and God and you will give an account of your life and you will give an account of what you did with Jesus. It's that simple. Either that's true or Jesus is a liar. The writer of Hebrews says this, people are destined to die once. And after that, what? After that comes the judgment. Which means we get, we get one life to live. There's no reincarnation. There's no nirvana or energy force that we just kind of fade into when we die. We get one life and then comes eternity. Either with God forever or separated from him forever. And from that, I want to press into this next truth that I think Jesus was really trying to drive home to his hearers. And it's this, church, you get one life, make it count. And listen, when I say make it count, I don't mean make it count like our culture means make it count. I don't mean, hey, go spend your life trying to make as much money as you possibly can. I don't mean, hey, go chase the American dream and try to get the big house with a white picket fence and the two-car garage. I mean, spend your life in God's kingdom. Invest in things that will last into eternity. Invest in people. Pour your life into people. Love people like Jesus loved them. And then point them to Jesus. Why? Why? Because we get one life. And then we stand before God, friend. Do you ever think about that day? Do you ever think about your last day on this planet? When you breathe your last breath and then you step into eternity, do you ever think about that day? The reality is that you should. The reality is that we all, we all should. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to be morbid at, at all this morning, but statistically speaking, in a church like ours of six to 700 people, I will very likely bury some of you before next Easter. At this time next year, very likely some of you will not be here. Some of you may bury me. You know, it's funny, I, I looked up the statistics this week just to, to make sure. Do you know what the current death rate is in 2018? Let me make sure I got this right. The death rate in 2018 is 10 out of every 10 people will die. Did you know that? It's still, nothing has changed. It's still, it's 10 out of every 10 people are gonna die. Now look, we live in Asheville, the land of health, the city of kale salads and tofu and yoga. And that's awesome. That stuff's great. I hope you do it all. <laughs> but hear me, you can eat three salads a day for every meal of your life. You can jog five miles a day. You can drink nothing but carrot juice and kombucha the rest of your life. And guess what? You're gonna die. You're gonna die. Now, yes, we should take care of our bodies. Absolutely we should. Especially as children of God, we should. We should eat healthy. We should exercise. But what Jonah was saying to the Ninevites and what Jesus is saying to you and me this morning is you need to think about your life, your death, and what comes next. You got to. You need to think about what comes next. This is way too important to just never think about. To just pretend like that day is never going to come for you. See, most of us never even give it a second thought. I read this quote from a pastor just this week 
uh, as he was actually talking about this topic. And uh, it was so good, I want to share it with you. This is what he says. He says, the devil's great tool is distraction. Texts, tweets, screens, songs, emails, sports, shows, temptations, past failures, present plans, future fears, anything but eternity. What a tragedy that many will enter the day of judgment without even giving it a thought in this life. What a tragedy indeed. And so Jesus and Jonah ultimately preach the same thing, and it's this. You need to think about the end of your life and what comes next. What could be more important than that? And yet so many of us, we just live our our whole lives without ever even giving it a second thought. It's madness. It's insanity. It's foolishness. Friend, listen, we must consider these things. I just, want to, I just want you to imagine for, for a minute what the, kind of this picture that Jesus is painting for us of that last day. When we see these, these Ninevites, these wicked, evil people who found their hope in God, when they rise up and they say, look, we never saw Jesus. We never saw any of his miracles. We never got to read any of his eyewitness accounts in the gospels like the church has. We didn't have his Holy Spirit, yet we believed God and we turned to him. And you people, you people had Jesus, you had his word, you had eyewitness accounts recorded in the gospels of his miracles, and you still rejected him. You are without excuse. Now listen, maybe there are some of you here right now who are kind of exploring the faith, Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're looking for a sign from God. Let me just lovingly remind you that he has already given you a sign. He has given you himself. Friend, look to the cross in the empty tomb. See, for some of you, I'm I'm just convinced that you don't believe, not because you need some sort of sign from God. I'm convinced you don't believe because you don't want to believe. You're not looking for some miracle pie in the sky thing for God to confirm. You don't believe just because you don't want to believe. That was my story. That's my story. You see, I I believed in God. Deep down, I knew that the gospel was true, but I ran for years. Not because I didn't believe, not because I needed some kind of miraculous sign. I ran because I wanted to be the God of my own life. See, now I'm convinced most of us don't need a sign. Most of us need to do what the Ninevites did 2,700 years ago, and that's repent and believe. That's to turn from our sins and believe in God, to give our lives to him and to begin to follow him. Remember back uh, in Jonah chapter two, Jonah uh, said, those who cling to worthless idols forsake God's love. In other words, what Jonah was saying is, is, is people are people who, who choose to love other things instead of God, they forsake God's love. It's not that God removes his love from their lives, it's that they choose to walk away from God's love. It's their choice, not his. Jesus puts it, puts it or says it this way in Mark's gospel. This should be on the screen for you. Jesus says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Listen, if you had some guy come to you in the parking lot in like a sketchy suit and dark glasses and say, hey, look, I'll give you a million dollars for your soul. You would be a, you'd be a fool to trade your soul even for a billion dollars. Nothing is more valuable or important than your soul, where you're gonna spend eternity. You get one life, friend. Make it count. Give your life to Jesus. We will give an account on that last day. And that leads us right into our last truth this morning, and it's this. Rejecting Jesus will cost you everything. It costs you everything. You say, Chris, man, that's not a very culturally sensitive thing for you to say. That could actually, that could, that could like offend somebody. Let me just remind you that my job as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, I, listen, I, I, don't, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. It's my job. I just tell you what's, what's already here. That's one reason why I always encourage you to open your Bibles, even though we have the text on the screen when I teach, because I don't want you to take my word for anything. I'm not the authority here. I'm not the Pope of new life. God is the authority. His word is the authority. So the message from Jonah all the way to Jesus is we have one life. We get one chance to make a choice to follow Jesus or reject him. And that decision will either bring you life and freedom now and in eternity, or it will cost you everything in the end. Friend, don't reject the sign of Jonah. This good news that Jesus paid for your sins so that one day you can stand before God, not in your own strength, because listen, if you're anything like me, you can't stand before God in your own strength. Like if I stand before God just based on how I've lived my life and I'm hoping that's gonna get me in, I am in deep trouble. I'm in deep trouble. But because of Jesus, I can stand before God on that final day with the Ninevites in confidence. And I can say to God, look, God, I've got nothing God, I've got nothing. God, I've done nothing to earn your grace, nothing to earn your love. But Jesus has. But Jesus has. And I stand washed in his blood and I stand in the righteousness that he purchased for me on the cross and I'm clinging to his life, his death, and his resurrection on my behalf. And on that day, God will look at me and he will welcome me into his kingdom, not because of anything that I've done, not because of anything I've done, not because I've earned it. He will look at me and he will see Jesus in my place. And friend, that is your only hope. That is my only hope. It is Jesus or nothing. There is no other way. Friend, hear me say this. God loves you. He does. He created you. He loves you. He pursues you. It's not a coincidence that you're here right now hearing this message. You're here because God has ordained you to be here in this moment to hear this message. He loves you. He pursues you. And yet we all have a choice to make. We get one life. We get one chance. Friend, make it count. Jesus is the truer and better Jonah. 
Listen to this contrast and then we'll, we'll close. This contrast between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah ran from God's mission, didn't he? He ran. Jesus, on the other hand, ran to the mission of God, even to the point of death. Jonah was cast into a storm because of his own disobedience. Jesus was cast into the storm of God's judgment for our disobedience. Jonah wanted judgment for his enemies. Jesus, on the other hand, died to save his enemies. Jonah went into the darkness of a belly of that great fish for three days so that the Ninevites could be saved. Jesus went into the darkness of death and grave for three days so that he could save the entire world. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. The point is Jesus. Jonah points us to Jesus. All of history points us to Jesus. He is the point. As we close this morning, let me just invite you to bow your heads for a moment as the band comes. Whether you're here um, and you've never believed the gospel in your life, you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you're here as a believer, but you're like Jonah. You've just drifted from God. Just allowed your heart, you've allowed your life to drift far from God. In either case, the overarching message of Jonah, the big idea of Jonah is this. Friend, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop running. What are you running from? You get one life. You get one chance, one shot. And then eternity. Isn't it time that you embrace the God who created you, who loves you, who gave himself completely for you to purchase you with his own blood? Listen, on that last day, on that final day, will the people of Nineveh rise up and say to you, why didn't you believe? Why didn't you believe? We believe Jonah in his weak message, and we turn to God. You had Jesus, you had the Bible, you had the Holy Spirit. Why didn't you listen? If that's you, if you know that you would be in that boat, if you died today, I want you to know that can change today. It doesn't have to be that way. It can change right now. You can do what the people of Nineveh did in Jonah's day, and that's repent. Just means to turn from being your own God and believe in Jesus. If that's your heart's desire, man, if you're here right now and you're like, man, that's, I know that's what I need. I know I've been running. I know I've been trying to do life my way, and I'm tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being sad. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being shackled by anxiety and sin. And I need Jesus and I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him. If that's where you're at, this is what I want to challenge you to do. As soon as we're done singing this last song, I want you to have the courage to walk up here and to talk to me and tell me that. Or one of our other prayer counselors that will be up here at the end of the service. God will give you the courage. If your heart is beating hard right now and you know that God is after you, 
take that step of courage. As soon as this is over, walk up here. We want to talk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray for you. If you say, man, I don't have time. I got somewhere to be as soon as this is over. Rip out that little connection card in your bulletin. Just fill your name out. Put your phone number there or your email address. Fold it up, put it on the seat. I'll call you this week. We can go have coffee or whatever and talk about it. For those of you who are here and you already believe, you already believe, you already follow Jesus. Here's a question for you. Who do you know right now that on that last day, the people of Nineveh would rise up and condemn them? Who in your circle of family and friends is currently far from God? Who is God asking you to be Jonah to? Friend, you get one life. You get one chance. Make it count. Father, for those that may be here who are skeptics, for those who may be here and even they're, maybe they're religious, like the Pharisees were religious. Maybe they've got everybody duped. But maybe they've missed the whole point. And the whole point is Jesus. God, if, if, that's, if that's where they're at, would you just draw them right where they're at? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you, would you speak to them? Would you show them how much better Jesus is than anything in the world? And God, for those of us who already believe and follow Jesus, would you use us? Would you raise us up to be Jonah's in our generation? God, would you use us to, to point people in our lives, this week even, who are far from you, use us to point them to Jesus. And it's in his glorious, strong, and beautiful name that we ask and we pray everything. Amen. Church, would you stand with me?